Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome. Feels like we celebrate every new episode, but with today's episode, we're at 20. Wow, so great. This feels like a pretty significant milestone for a project that started out as a way to distract us from a worldwide <laughs> pandemic. So, yay us! Woo! And yay you all, too, for listening and supporting us. But that's enough of that. Let's get right to the meat of this. Tessa, start us off. What's your new favorite word? Okay, well, uh, a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about Roger's thesaurus. And this week I've been kind of playing around with it, just exploring some of the different topic areas and meaning categories in it. And one that I focused on was the idea of cheating and words that are associated with that. Okay. So I have a list of some that I'll talk about that are related. And the first one is finagle. Oh, that's a great word. (laughs) So F-I-N-A-G-L-E. But the OED lists some really interesting alternate spellings. My favorite is P H E N A G L E. P H. Yeah, finagle. <laughs> I think I'm going to start spelling it that way. <laughs> Another one is F I N A Y G L E, finagle. So you can finagle the spelling of that word in some different <laughs> ways. Um, so Edam Online talks about the meaning of this word as to get dishonestly or deviously used in beginning in 1926 in American English, Um, possibly from an English dialectical word, finague, F-A-I-N-A-I-G-U-E, to cheat or renege at cards. So renege is another interesting word, but finague, and we add (laughs) the frequentative suffix L-E, finagle. So, going back to the frequentative (laughs) suffixes we talked about a little while ago. That's cool. Yeah. And a couple other words in this word cloud about cheating that have that L-E suffix are to wangle and to swindle. Um, Another word, this is one I've never heard by itself as a verb before, that means to cheat, is to mulct. M-U-L-C-T. Have you heard that word before? I don't think I have. No. So it's obsolete now, but in the early 15th century, it meant to punish by a fine or forfeiture. So to charge someone a fee or a fine. Um, And in 1748, gained a meaning to defraud. So to be fraudulent. But the thing that it made me think of, and I think that you're noticing it now because you're smiling, from the series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket, okay? Mulctuary money management. (laughs) (laughs) Takes a whole new feel suddenly. (laughs) That's where that word mulctuary derives from. So you've got to give it to the author of that series for his love of language. Yes, absolutely. Because I have never heard that word before. But now I know it. Mulked. <laughs> and another word, this is one I'd never heard of before, but it's really fascinating. So C O Z E N, pronounced cousin. Okay, I've, I've seen that word. Never yeah. Heard it pronounced, but. So I would have said cousin. Yeah, but same. That's how I Cousin. Okay, in the 1560s, it was used, beginning to be used to mean to cheat or defraud. And possibly coming from a French, I'm not going to pronounce it very well, possibly, but cousinaire, 
to cheat on the pretext of being a cousin. So to <laughs>、okay. cousin someone <laughs> is to pretend to be their cousin or the cousin of someone that has authority over them, and in order to swindle them in some way, cheat them, defraud them. To cousin I, that cracked me up. So interesting.、Um, it is possibly also another alternate possibility about its origin is from Middle English, cozine, c o s y n, meaning fraud or trickery, which is possibly related to a Latin word, cosionum, meaning a horse dealer. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So that idea of the horse dealer being ready to cheat you,、mm-hmm. the trickery and fraud involved with. Horse dealing. Interesting. Okay.、Yeah. So then another one that I've never heard of, but I really enjoyed and thought was interesting. Thimble rig. <laughs> have you heard that one before? I have, but I have no idea where I've heard okay. it. Okay, you've you've heard a lot. I've of heard it. it in the sense of a thimble rigger. Okay. Yeah. So thimble rig is an old British term for the shell game. So if you think about、oh. someone with their shells, walnut shells with a P under one of them, a con man trying、yeah. to get you to wager on following the P with your eye and figuring out which one it's under. So they used thimbles. So that's where thimble rig and rig meaning that it was rigged, right? A con. Yes.、Um, the thimble con. And this is a game that's been around at least since ancient Greece, maybe even further back than that. And the noun form, the thimble rig, was then denominalized and created into a verb. They verbed it to thimble rig. And yes, you can apply it to a person. A thimble rigger is a con man.、Mm-hmm. That kind of idea. So I thought that was a really interesting. Yeah, that's great. Word related to cheating. And then this is my. Favorite word. Okay, it's not a new word to me, but I learned some things about it. The word, the verb to fudge. Okay. So the Oxford English Dictionary defines the verb to fudge as to fit together or adjust in a clumsy, makeshift, or dishonest manner. So、uh-huh. that's where the the cheating part comes from, right? Okay. Fudging your finances or something like that. And the possible etymology of this is from a word that's now obsolete. To fadge, f a d g e, <laughs> which meant to make something suit a situation or to fit the parts of something together. To fadge, to fadge. almost like to cobble together、okay. something. So one of the examples was like to fadge together a dress from the the pieces left over from someone else's dress, kind、okay. of thing, to make a new dress. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So in the 1700s and the 1800s, we have examples of this word being used as a noun. So a fudge was a made-up story or a deceit, <laughs> or it could be used as an interjection, meaning stuff and nonsense, right?、Oh, so、fudge. nonsense or bosh. And Edmund Lyne says that there's a traditional story of the origin of this interjection, meaning lies or nonsense, tracing to a captain in a navy named Captain Fudge. Who always brought home his owners a good cargo of lies. <laughs> so, and the sailors would often say, if someone told a tall tale, they would say, "You fudge," you know. Okay. And this isn't anything that's provable, but there was a recorded instance of a Captain Fudge in the late 17th century, and he was called Lying Fudge. So, okay, this is a possible origin. The Oxford English Dictionary said. This etymology can hardly be correct. 
But they don't say why. Right. Leave it to the OED. So (laughs) there are different ideas on whether or not this is accurate, but it's an interesting idea that that might have been named after a person who was known to be a liar. (laughs) That's awesome. So then I wondered, how about the candy? Like, we want to know, how did fudge come to be called fudge? Because does (laughs) it have anything to do with cheating, lying, cobbling together? So this soft, rich candy made of sugar, milk, butter, and chocolate or cocoa, or these days a lot of different kinds of flavors. How long do you think it's been around? Any guess? Um, I would guess 1800s. Yeah, that's a really good guess. So late 1800s, and the first written evidence of it being called fudge, at least, is in 1888. Okay. So not as long as some of the other sweets and confections we're familiar with. Uh, There's a possible etymology involving the invention of fudge and the origins of its name, saying that most stories claim that the first batch of fudge resulted from an accident with a bungled or fudged batch of caramels when the sugar was allowed to recrystallize, hence the name from the interjection, oh, fudge. (laughs) (laughs) So there's no way to know if that's accurate or not, but at some point in the late 1800s, it started showing up in letters, in recipes being printed. The, the Oxford Companion to Sugar and Sweets. So that's a book that would be interesting. That would be. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a dictionary of things related to sugar and sweets. It says, Fudge was promoted to the home cook and amateur candy maker as an innocent pleasure suitable for the domestic environment. <laughs> Fudge was among the first candies... To escape both the sexual overtones of luxury bonbons and the vulgar associations of penny candy. (laughs) So it was somewhere in the middle and it was very respectable. It was a respectable sweet and something that people could make in their homes. Uh, Previously to that, chocolate candies were very, very expensive. But around that time, um, sugar and chocolate began to become more inexpensive, a lot more affordable for the average person. And so that entry in that book said that, that this world of confectionery goods that had once catered to wealthy male consumers was now democratized and feminized. Oh, interesting. So it's fascinating how culturally charged something like candy could be. Yeah. Yeah, that's really surprising. Yeah. And this was my favorite part of this. And I, I'll link to a little YouTube video where they talk about this a little bit. And it's in some of the articles. I'll link as well in the show notes. But... Um, in an 1880s fudge-making fad among students at elite American women's colleges, including Vassar, Wellesley, and Smith, foster the use of this new creation. The young women made fudge in their dormitory rooms, often in tin boxes balanced on the chimneys of spirit lamps, and later in chafing dishes. Occasionally, fire rather than fudge resulted. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, and so the OED actually had a quote from a newspaper article reporting about a fire in a women's dor- dormitory that came from the making of fudge. Wow. So it's really fascinating. But so there are recipes that have been handed down from the 1880s from these colleges. So there's Vassar fudge and Wellesley fudge and Smith fudge. <laughs> And so I have a link to the original Vassar fudge recipe if anyone's interested in that. It's kind of fun. That's really neat, yeah. And it'd be interesting to try making it over an alcohol lamp, <laughs> don't you think? 
outside maybe or something <laughs> fire. but just to get a sense of what they went through for yeah. this but yeah. they used it for fundraising for their college uh, they would make these big batches of fudge and then auction them off or sell them at bake sales and things like that and this kind of fascinating little fact of history involving fudge and so i would love it if our listeners would leave us their favorite fudge recipe a link or a a list of ingredients that they like to use maybe what their favorite flavor of fudge is there's a lot more that we could go into but there is i will leave that there for now fascinating yeah thank you tessa that's really cool thanks for not cheating on your word (laughs) I, I was going to fudge that. but <laughs> So for me, um, I recently happened to glance at the Merriam-Webster Word of the Day. Okay. And if you're not familiar with that, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. It's a fun way to get acquainted with words you might not otherwise encounter. But that day the word was grubstake. <laughs> How do you spell that? G-R-U-B-S-T-A-K-E. Okay. Grubstake. It's old mining slang from grub, meaning food. And stake, meaning a share or interest, <laughs> and referred to a kind of loan, maybe money, maybe supplies, which was given in trade for a cut of the miner's profits. Interesting. So, for example, a miner might strike a deal with someone. They would give him food and gear to last a month, and he would split anything he found with them. Okay. And the food and gear given to the miner was called the grub stake. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So, per Merriam-Webster, the word was coined sometime during the California Gold Rush in the mid-1800s, and was originally used exclusively in mining contexts. So you, you look at you know old uses of the word in the 1860s and so forth. There's always a miner that required some capital or supplies in order to, to work a claim to profitability, and that was called a scrub stick. Hmm. So eventually, as words are wont to do, it came to be used in a broader sense, describing any situation where a loan is given, even when no share is required in exchange. And it's even been verbed to grubstake someone, okay. which conjures up vampire narratives <laughs> in my head. I think I feel a fag hoot coming on, something about a, a miner who seeks funds in order to defeat an undead terror. <laughs> anyway. Love it. But compound words like grubstake are interesting to me because they take two unrelated concepts and mash them together to create uh, a new idea. Mm-hmm. Grub and steak in this case. So starting with steak, unsurprisingly, the idea of staking a claim comes from the use of wooden stakes to mark mm. a claim. Makes sense. And the word steak itself comes via Old English, Proto-Germanic, and Proto-Indo-European from a root meaning pole or stick. There's not a lot of surprise there. Mm-hmm. But what's cool is that the Romance languages, like Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, French, borrowed that word from Germanic... And then English borrowed it back <laughs> in the form of attach. Ooh. So it's hard to imagine at first how attach relates to steak. But I see the T-A, K sound yeah, there. Like yeah, the, the phonemes are there. But the meaning seems elusive. But in Old yeah. French, the word estachier, which is where we borrowed attach, not, not you and me, but English, <laughs> borrowed the word attach. In French, that meant to attach, support, or stake up. Okay. To stay, like you think of tomatoes, right? You stake mm. them to keep them growing upright. Yeah. Attach them to the stake. So anyway, that was fascinating to me that English <laughs> borrowed it back in another form with a different <laughs> Grub, though, it turns out that's surprisingly tricky etymologically. 
It's been used to refer to food since the mid 1600s and oh. to insect larvae since the mid 1300s. <laughs> and that juxtaposition alone is enough to make me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but as a verb, it meant to dig up. And okay. that dates to from, grub for mushrooms yeah, or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Grubbing for insects. You think of a bird grubbing for insects, yeah. right? And Edam Online actually hypothesizes that the food meaning comes from that idea mm. of birds grubbing for insects. Mm. And though neither the OED nor Edam Online explicitly make this connection, it feels like you can see the relationship between digging for food, grubbing, and the food, the grub, mm-hmm. right? And like you've talked about in the past, the nominalization of mm-hmm. a verb, turning it into that noun idea. So that makes sense to me, but again, that's just, that's not explicit anymore. (laughs) But this word grub derives via Germanic roots from a hypothesized Proto-Indo-European root meaning to dig, bury, or scratch. And the words grave Mm. and groove come from that same root, which is kind of interesting. But the, the use of that as a verb kind of brings this full circle because the miners coined grub steak from the evolved sense of food for Mm -hmm. grub, probably never realizing that its root meaning, digging, referred directly to their own profession. (laughs) So while grub steak might refer to a trade, profits in exchange for supplies, it's not unreasonable, etymologically speaking, to apply the word to the claim itself. (laughs) One stake in the digging, so to speak. (laughs) Anyway, that was was a fun little discovery. Yeah, it's like a full circle where you come. (laughs) Interesting word. Thank you. Thank you, Tessa. Well, that was fascinating. Thank you so much to our listeners for joining us today for our 20th episode. We are having so much fun with this. I hope you are too. Every week. Yeah. So go enjoy some fudge for us (laughs) and eat it with your grub. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully we'll see you next time. Thanks.